Hello everyone, welcome aboard episode number two of the Potato Chase Cycling Podcast with me, your host, Ewan Wilson. Um, well, the date is currently the 7th of, of June, and I'm coming to you from an undisclosed location because I'm currently moving quite quickly. Um, yeah, we are moving very, very quickly through the French countryside because I'm currently on a train from Lyon to Lille. Um, the reason for that will be clear in next week's episode, uh, which will be titled The Demi Tour de France. Uh, read into that what you will. But I'm currently on a train. You can probably hear that by the sound effects. I've, so I've taken a bike here on this trip, and um, it's, it's in a huge bag. I will, I will take a picture. So tune in to what's happening on the Potato Chase Twitter. It's the, the Potato Chase, all one word, all lower case. And my personal is Ewan Wilson 48 which I'm sure I'll be ranting and raving about the activities of this week on there. And, um, yeah, it's... I mean, my bike's just sat here in the middle of the corridor, and it's too big to put in a luggage storage. So I'm just sitting by it, hoping that no one, like, plays with it or damages it or anything. I'm, I've hired it from somewhere, so I don't want to have to pay any, any of my deposit back, please. I did not have the money to do that. But, uh... Yeah, this week's episode, well, what what's on the menu, I hear you ask, for this week's episode? It's a calypso of things. We talk about, well, we kick everything off with a final touch of the Giro d'Italia. After that, we head over to, uh, we head over to a quick Vuelta Spania news before we rush over to the Mercantour Out Classic Maritime, whatever whatever it's called, that mountainy one that looks really cool. And then, uh talk about relegation, domestic abuse, and Tom de Milan. Not, not necessarily linked with each other. But that's what's on the menu for this week. Let's jump in with our first diary entry from the 31st of June, where we summarize the Giro d'Italia in just three words. The date currently is the 31st of May, and why not kick off this episode of Diary Entries with a fun little game where we describe every team of the Giro d'Italia in just three words. Yes, this can be a phrase, it can just be a conglomeration of of words. I have prepared a three-word overview of every team at the Giro, beginning with Astana. Incognito, but successful. Aje désert la mondiale. They were there. Alpes and Phoenix, all four cylinders. Bahrain victorious, grand tour cornerstones. Bardiani, the Gaburo show. Cofidis, I am confused. Dronehopper, breakaway, breakaway, breakaway. EF, easy post, presumably they tried. Aeolo Cometa, too overconfident. Groupama Francis de Jeux. Military Operation Sprint. Antamarche. Formidable. Just formidable. Israel Startup Nation. Israel Startup Nation. Team Yumbo Visma. Surprisingly well ridden. Lotto Sudal. Anyone but Caleb. Movistar Team. Who? What? 
Where? Quick Step Alpha Vinyl. Wished for more. Bike Exchange Jayco. Yates was close. Team DSM. Always on screen. UAE Team Emirates. Global damn pandemic. And finally, Bora Hanskara. They won it. So there you go. That's your overview of every team within three letters. What you can do is join in the conversation over on Twitter. It's at the potato chase, all one word, all lowercase. The date is the 31st of May, and I'm currently reading an article on cycling tips, which brings some bizarre news about the Vuelta a España, saying that the race organizers are looking to make the race pass through a football stadium, that's soccer for our transatlantic friends, uh, for the last stage of this year's race on stage 21 in Madrid. The stadium, in fact, in question is the Wanda Metropolitana in Madrid, the home of Atletico Madrid, like one of the world's biggest clubs, but they want the race to pass through at half time on, on match day. This seems like a ludicrous idea. I don't know whose idea this was, but it, it's kind of, I, I can't tell if it's fun and quirky or if it's going to be a calamity. Because, I mean, for instance, for the riders, riding on the grass, A, is rather inconvenient, especially if you have all of the the race cars come in as well. That's going to rip up the grass. That's going to make it very difficult to play on for the actual uh, Spanish league game. That's going to happen as well. And then B, what if what if they're too slow? What if what if they come into the stadium and like half times already happened, and then the game is restarted, and it's what the sixtieth minute of play in the match, and they have to stop it because the the Vuelta España is coming through. It just seems like a like a silly idea. I have no idea how it's going to go down. It would be such a spectacle, though, on television. Imagine it full-out, like a sold-out Atletico Madrid game, especially if it's like Atletico Madrid against Real Madrid, like the big Madrid derby. Imagine that, and you just got Vuelta España rolling through the stadium halfway during the game. That would be so cool. But is it... I mean, we've had... They've been around stadiums before. They went around... Was it... Atletico Bilbao Stadium a couple of years back in 2019. And according to the article, apparently in 2002, they had a time trial that finished in the Bernabeu, which is the uh, Real Madrid Stadium. Which, I mean, we, we've had stages that start and finish in strange places. The actual, the Tour de France a couple of years back had a time trial that finished inside the Stade Vélodrome, or the Orange Vélodrome, as it's now known in Marseille. And, I mean, it could work. Let me know on Twitter what your opinions are on this project. It's at the potato chase, all one word, all lowercase. I mean, if we're building this up, it, it'll be so fun to just have cycling intrude more sporting events. Imagine like, I don't know, imagine having the, I don't know, the Tour of Poland or something go into uh, the Polish swimming championships and the peloton ride around the swimming pool for a couple of laps before leaving. Or, I don't know, the, the peloton passes through an archery field or a golf course. Like, anything is possible. Anything is possible in this sport. It's so sort of different. And, and let's, let's see it happen. What a spectacle it would be.
Well, the date is the 1st of June, 2022. I'm a day late at doing this, I am aware. But Jakob Fulsang won a race. Jakob Fulsang and Israel Premier Tech winning? That's very out of character. Yes, the, the Dane won the Mercantile Classic Alp Maritime, which it's in like the Southern Alps, towards the Mediterranean, not far away from Nice. And uh, Israel Premier Tech did incredibly well. They got a 1-2 with the Fulsang and Woods together. That's, oh Christ, mathematics. 210 UCI points, which is fantastic for them. They also managed to get Chris Froome in 11th place. He scores 15 UCI points, which is, I think, more than he scored since returning to racing in 2020. And overall, this is a fantastic result for Israel Premier Tech, which I didn't expect. Uh, you know... Especially for these guys, the old guns, they beat David Godou, which for me personally, I'm just flabbergasted by. There was a strong start list as well. We had some we had some really decent climbers here. I mean, Louis Mankies just won a race as well. I was expecting things from him. Steph Cross, Jesus Herrada. And it's goddamn Jakob Fulsang who takes the win. Yeah, this, I think this is also very important. I mean, I mentioned the UCI points already, but Israel currently sit in last place, or at least... Out of the World Tour teams, they're in 20th place overall, if you factor in the Pro Continental teams. So they currently sit in 20th place in the UCI point standings, which means that next year they would be getting relegated. Um, they are quite a bit off. Lotto Sudal, who also sit in that relegation zone, but Israel, I mean, they're just struggling. I'm expecting Lotto Sudal to get more points throughout the rest of this season. But yeah, it's... It's definitely an interesting narrative of this season. It's something that many people have been talking about. And I think Israel, they've somewhat been going under the radar because they're a relatively new team. They were pro-continental. They don't have a big name necessarily. I mean, in terms of the, the strength, yes, there's Chris Froome and so forth, but he's not going to be winning a, a big race anytime soon, I don't think. But for Israel, they've kind of been going under the radar and being a bit complacent, I feel with their sort of world tour campaign and how they've been riding over the past couple of years, uh, particularly since they were promoted in 2020, which is where the points are taken from. And yeah, it's just, they really don't do it for me. They, I, I always feel like they bring nothing to the buffet. If there was a world tour buffet, which is another brilliant segment that we'll do in the future, what sort of food represents each team? And I think Israel Premier Tech is, what is it? It's... It's a tuna salad. No one really wants it. It's a bit cold. It's a bit smelly. Um, but, yeah, it's just... I don't know. It's it's something that does frustrate me. And, I mean, wins like this are super important for them, though. If, if they want to avoid getting relegated, they do have to keep getting wins like this. I just... I would prefer if Israel Premier Tech went down than an EF who currently sit just above the relegation zone. Uh, but they're also in trouble. But for the time being, Fulsang taking his first win. I mean, if I'm honest, I really thought his career was just a bit stagnant. Uh, after he moved over to Israel Premier Tech, he had a decent uh, Valenciana. Gran Camino, I mean, not great there. Tirreno completely incognito. The classics, meh. I thought that was it for Fulsang. I thought he was really done. But he's come back. He's won this race. Uh, he's on the sheets, probably for the Tour de France, which he'll be going to, and the Tour de Suisse, which actually takes 
place in his uh in his I mean, his birth nation Switzerland. But I'm surprised he's not going to do the Dauphiné with his two victories in the past there. But I mean, fair play, fair play, Yakov will say. Uh, but in order to talk about the relegation battle more, first of all, I, I've been making a video, I've been writing a script over the past couple of days. It's now online by the time you listen to this. On YouTube, it's The Cycling Dane, all one word, all lowercase. But there's a video there where I break down the five teams currently in the World Tour that are most at danger. But I wanted to dive into it more. And I want to have a, a conversation where we could dig into these other topics and the other sort of aspects of, of this promotion relegation system. And for that, I have invited on my usual partner in crime in the cycling world, Scott Nielsen from The Cycling Dane, to talk all about Jakob Fulsang, his favorite subject, as well as the promotion and relegation system. I mean, congratulations on Fulsang finally winning a race for his Premier Tech, Scott. How do you feel about that one, first of all? Hang on, he's only been there this season, so I think that's a bit unfair. Uh, yeah, uh, well, the the Golden Bird is coming back to his top form right before a Danish Grand Depart of the Tour de France, so potentially we could see Fulsang in yellow this year. I did see that there was a thread. It was, I think, a Danish journalist or so forth um, published like the article saying that Fulsang won. And there were people in the comment section saying that he was um, going to take the yellow jersey from from stage five, from the Arenberg stage onwards to the mountains, which I think was a ludicrous comment to make. But you never know. You never know. Maybe, maybe with all that yellow bread that he's going to be getting in Copenhagen, he'll be running high into the I mean, first of racing. Did- did finish second in the 2014 uh, cobble stage on a very wet day. So who True. knows, really? That was eight years ago. But that's not what, what we're here to discuss. Israel Premier Tech, with this win, actually have scored an awful lot of points. With this win at the Mercantour Classic Alpe-Marie team, he's got 125 points in the bag for his team. That is roughly half of the points he already accumulated this year, which comes from just this one race. Even though he's been racing at the World Tour uh, level for a while, this victory act- actually is over double uh, the points as his 13th place at liege bastogne liege And I mean, Fulsang, he's helping this team, which are currently ranked 20th in the UCI uh, rankings with the points there, which means Israel Premier Tech are currently in the relegation zone, Scott, with Israel Lotto Sudal currently in the relegation zone. How do you think you'd feel, first of all, with the with the World Tour future without Israel or Lotto Sudal? Well, um, Lotto Sudal, of course, they've nurtured a lot of young talents from Belgium, of course. But um, yeah, they've kind of built themselves around being kind of a breakaway team slash sprinters team. But then you're like if they were relegated and had to be a pro-continental team, they are probably going to get into most races that they wanted to get into anyway because they have Caleb Ewan. So it might be a blessing in disguise for some of these teams if they did get relegated. Okay, Israel, Primatech don't have the budget issue because they're Mr. Billionaire behind them. But 
for some of these teams on the world tour, like EF Education, Easy Post, that we've heard so many times, uh, Jonathan Waters struggling with a sponsor. It could be a blessing in disguise if they went down to Pro Conti. We saw that with Team Europe Car, of course, when they they were kind of always, well, they had a different angle, of course. They were a French team and they were always kind of led into the Tour de France because of that. But um, while well, EF Education, Easy Post, would they get a similar thing courtesy of the history in the tour, in the Giro? I don't know. But um, yeah, how do I feel without losses to Dan Israel Premier Tech in the World Tour? I mean, Israel Premier Tech, we've spoken about them so many times. They've not really brought anything to the World Tour this year, to be honest. They were non-existent at the Giro. A bit pathetic, to be honest, in some of their tactics. But, of course, last year they were brilliant with Dan Martin and David Chumulai. So, I just think it's become a bit of a joke of a team having all these big names of yesteryear and they're not really performing uh, which is a, a great shame because let's be honest, Full Sang, yeah, amazing win, but the rest of them probably won more money than Full Sang and they're not performing at all. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Israel doesn't doesn't seem like they have a un- unique selling point apart from the fact that it's a lot of old riders. And I mean, maybe they targeted the Mercantile Classic because they thought it was easy points, which it somewhat is. It had a strong field, yes. Louis Mainkies was there, Jesus Herrada, and also David Godu. But look at the team that Israel sent. It's kind of one of their A-list teams. And uh, in terms of how the team rode that final climb, they really did obliterate it. And you can see that with Fulsang in first and Woods in second place. Looking forward, looking forward to um, to the other teams and what. Oh. Looking forward now to thinking about a strategy that Israel should employ to not to not be in the relegation zone. Same for Lotte Sudal as well, for that fact. What do they do in order to overtake the people now sitting in 18th and 17th place in bike exchange and EF, respectively? I mean, that that is the golden question for them, in a way. Uh, Kelvin, of course, not performing at the uh, Giro d'Italia is going to be a huge stack of points that they're not going to get. If they had more points with Kelbuen, on top of that, uh, with that Thomas de Gent victory, that would have been amazing. Uh, equally, Israel Premitek, Nizzolo got nothing, nothing to really write home about for him in terms of stage glory. So, yeah, where are they going to get, like you said, where are they going to, how are they going to overturn this? Simon Yates, of course, did get points. EF Education, you would think they would be doing something uh, at the Tour de France, potentially, but Kofidis maybe is one of the teams that you could try and, well, potentially drag into this relegation battle, but um, DSM equally as well. They've not been great. Roman Bade, unlucky, of course. We'll have to see if you, they send him to the Tour de France. But um, yeah, lots of Sudal, you, they have to do something. Like they have to, one of the young guns, Andreas Korn, maybe send him to the Tour. Maybe he can do something. Good puncher. But Yes, their own fate is kind of out of their own hands right now. Yeah, and it's like, I think as well, one thing that bothers me, you mentioned Caleb Ewan, is like how stupid, and I wouldn't say stupid, that's maybe too derogatory, but how illogical the point scoring system is. For instance, a Giro stage win is 80 points, but winning a 
the Mercantile Classic is 125 points, which is significantly more points, which is why, I mean, linking this back to Caleb Ewan, Caleb Ewan's won Tirana Dratico stage. He's been up there in World Tour sprints, but he only has 30% of the points that Arno de Lee has scored this year, who, by the way, is Lotto Sudal's highest scorer. So do, do these teams need to start focusing on these smaller races? I know like EF don't necessarily go to these tiny Belgian races like, I don't know, the Ronde von Limburg or the Brussels Cycling Classics of the world. Israel Premier Tech seem to be in the start line this year. Maybe they're doing that specifically to get points. But I think that's also why Cofidis are bound to, to remain in this position and Arkea as well, because these small European teams can afford to go to these these races, these, I mean, we insult the French circuit a lot, but these tiny little French All circuit. Right, we. I insult, insult the French circuit a lot. I mean, I was at the Alpizer tour last week and it, was, it wasn't the highest caliber of racing, but even winning that race is worth I mean, 40 points, which is the same as what a second, third place on, on a Giro stage. It's, I don't know, it's, it, it seems like the system is, is somewhat broken, which does play against Bike Exchange and EF for not being European. A broken system in UCI, wow. That goes hand in hand, don't it? Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's a bit a weird system, really. I thought they would more adopt the system that they had on Pro Cycling Stats or Pro Cycling Manager, for instance where it, you kind of only scored points in the World Tour events and not just kind of all races, which seems a bit crazy, to be honest. Yeah, therein lies the thing. Do we, that then places a lot of emphasis on the, the organizers of races to choose certain teams. And then once again, we'll probably get a French bias or an Italian bias because, I mean, they have their two nations with lots of teams and lots of racing there. But do you think do you, do you think this system's actually going to happen? This is this is the other big debate here because we currently have Israel Premier Tech sitting in twentieth place and not a Sudal. I mean, they don't have the same sort of money, but Israel Premier Tech, who look very likely that they're going to be relegated unless they win the Tour de France with Chris Froome. Mister Sylvan Adams, their billionaire oh, owner, uh, could uh, could bail out the team. Could try to buy a world tour license are the uci gonna say no if sylvan adams walks up with billions i i don't know yeah i think well we've spoken about that a few times not on air or anything but like the unsustainability or the unsustainable model of this whole relegation system they're trying to adopt this football model which is fine it works for football of course but does it work for cycling? I don't think it does because we've seen so many years teams just disappearing from the sport. And it's like that's without any relegation system. They kind of just the billionaire owners die, like with Andy Reese and BMC. Suddenly BMC didn't exist. Oleg Tinkoff got bored of cycling because he said Froome was dominating everything. So he disappeared. So their two teams just disappeared out of that. Um, sponsors withdraw left, right, and center. So it's like, because you've given your name or the sponsor's name as your team name, suddenly you become very reliant. Okay, there are brilliant sponsors in the sport, such as Movistar and Cofidis that have been there for a number of years, of course. But it's just, it's so unreliable that these teams, 2019 whatever teams, 
are going to be staying there exactly the same next year. And for some of these pro-continental teams being forced to move up as well, do they have the capabilities to host the whole World Tour calendar? That's the other thing as well. Yeah, because they have to employ staff to go to the races and exactly the oh, and, there as well. And suddenly they need a bigger bus and blah, blah, hmm. blah. And exactly. they need more expensive riders. Their minimum salary jumps up as well. So suddenly that goes up. But uh, to answer your question, do I think if Israel Premier Tech are in the lowest category that they will get relegated? Absolutely not. I can't see them getting relegated. I think they have too much money and too much. Yeah, I I think it's a, it doesn't work. That's what I'm trying to get at. I don't think a relegation system works in cycling. Yeah, I think it's hard. I think as well, because there's such a big jump from first from the world tour down to a pro continental. And I mean, the franchising of the sport, yes, maybe it's gatekeeping, maybe it's whatever you want to call it, but a team, I think they can apply to be a world tour team, which we've seen teams wanting to, to be moved up. We see we saw Europe Car become, became World Tour back in 2014. I Am Cycling became World Tour in 2015. We've seen these teams go up How and down. How did that end? Sorry? How did that end with I Am Cycling? I mean... It, you see? They were in it for a good time, not a long time. Uh, I mean, the possibility is always there to move up. But it's made it exciting. But are we all just talking hot air now about this relegation i think if, so if it doesn't happen and then what do you, what do the uci do is it a credible move to then rip up the, this 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 rule that they made in 2019 uh it's just well is no longer in this sport ntt pro cycling is no longer in this sport bmc that's not even that many years ago these three teams have just disappeared mm. particularly post-covid as well yeah exactly so and potentially with a economic crisis on the way <laughs> who knows <laughs> definitely coming Dear cycling fans, dear all, I decided that 2020 will be my last year as a professional cyclist. In 2020, I had a very difficult year, and at the end of the year that year, I got overtrained and burned out. But despite how good it occasionally still was, many times, and especially this year, it has been frustrating, at which my body has felt tired and still does feel tired. I chose not to take that road, but to quit my active cycling instead to take a new and unknown path. But I do know that my love for the bike will always keep me connected to the world of cycling one way or another. I'm very curious what the future will hold for me. I feel happy and grateful and now I only look forward and now I only look back on my career with a lot of pride. Last but not least, I want to thank everyone who has been there with me on this amazing adventure. To thank everyone who helped me with it. To thank everybody who helped me with it and who shared the special moments with me. Cycling has required my blood, sweat, and tears at times, but mostly it was beautiful, and I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Tom Dumoulin. He's going off, he's going to take the stage win, but look who he's guiding in here! It's Dumoulin! Dumoulin, king of this mountain! He slashed everybody down with him with a blade in his hand, and he might just come through to take the day! Oh, he's going to! Here he goes, picks it up! Dumoulin has done it! King of the mountain, king of the hills, king of the time trial, and I think... King in waiting of this Giro d'Italia. Wow, what about that? Well, that's the confirmation there. Tom de Milan, the 2017 Giro d'Italia champion, has retired from the sport of cycling. 
it's uh, I mean it's a surprise to everybody I think no one really expected him to to go out of the sport especially after I mean just signing up to for the Giro he had a two top fives at that race in the time trial and on stage seven to Potenzai pulled out of the race though however uh, in Turin I mean yeah I think it is a shame you know Tom, Tom de Milan really brought something different he felt like he was ushering in a new age he was a bit of a he was unique because he, he was so strong in the time trial, then converted into becoming a GC rider, but still with the same frame of being a TT guy. And I mean, for me personally as well, Tom de Milan, it's a lot of special memories for me. Uh, when I was, I mean, I'm 21 now, so bear that in mind. When I was getting into cycling, I was, um, I used to support Team Sky and I was looking, after sort of 2015, I kind of fell out of love with Team Sky. I was looking for a new rider to support, and I just really liked de Milan's style, particularly in the Volta Espana 2015. Personally, that's my favorite, that's one of my favorite Grand Tours of all time. I think it's fantastic, particularly Stage 9. Unless, of course, somebody can dig deep, and the man who's digging deepest of all is de Milan. Tom de Milan's going to be in the leader's jersey at the end of today, there's no doubt about that. He might just take a stage win as well. He bridges over to Froome, he's going to sail by. An amazing performance by Tom de Milan. He's a big man, he's not supposed to be able to do this sort of thing. He's a great time trialist, he's proving he's a great rider as well. Oh, chapeau, Tom de Milan. Even going forward as well. 2016, he got the Malia Rosa in Helderland in front of a home Dutch crowd, which he couldn't do the year before at the Tour de France. He won Tour de France stages in a monstrous stage to Andorra in the rain. Then he won a time trial a day after the, the dreadful Nice attacks on the beach there, on the Promenade des Anglais that day, and it was a, it was an emotional win. But looking forward as well, 2017 Giro. It is my favorite Grand Tour of all time. Everything about that race, I think, is formidable. You have the sort of... It, it was It's such a political Grand Tour. The way that the alliance is formed very early. You had... I mean, Dumoulin working with Balcom, Wallama, Bob Jungels, and Adam Yates, whilst, the, whilst you had Nibali and Quintana fighting for their sort of GC battle on the... On the front that they weren't very good at time trialing. And Tom de Milan got the pink jersey. He had the big scandal when he took a toilet break in, into, into Bormio. 33Ks to go. Can you tell us? 33Ks to go. You stop in the field. Can you tell us exactly what happened? I uh, needed to shit. <laughs> That's it. Uh... If it weren't for Team Sky, he probably would have done the double back in 2018. That would have been huge if he got the Tour de France and the Giro. He came second in, I mean, an attritional Giro in 2018 and came very close in the Tour de France but didn't quite have the team uh, to support him to challenge uh, Team Sky at the time. That was when Garrett Thomas took that, um, took the win that year. And in fact, that is Tom de Milan's, I mean, his last Grand Tour stage win came in that Giro d'Italia. But um, yeah, we just... Let's look forward to Milan. Maybe he'll come back as a, as a, as a, I don't know, as a team director, a journalist. A, a, maybe he'll become a commentator. Who knows? He trained as a doctor as well. Let's not forget. He, he wanted to go to med school, but then chose the path of cycling. So maybe he'll go back to med school. Maybe he'll do something else. 
But for the time being, I think Tom DeMolan has been brave in doing this and he'll definitely set a precedent for more people who probably feel the same way in the years to come. Chris Froome, take notes. Anyways, thank you, Tom DeMolan. Thank you, Val. Butterfly of Maastricht, fly away. Well, the date is June 4th, and I bring you some good news for everybody who supports justice. Um, Alexandre Geniez has had his contract terminated. Yes, praise the fine lord above. But if you're not informed on what this case is, well, let me just take you on a little... I'll, I'll inform you. I went to French law school for a year. I will tell you all about this case. Well, Alexandre Geniez, I mean, he's a pretty well-known cyclist, currently rides for Total Energy. He's, rid- he's ridden for Francis Desjeux in the past. He's uh, been top 10 in Grand Tours in the past as well. But this is not the, the real problem here. Back in 2021, Alexandre Geniez's ex-wife, Lucie Gariguez, actually reported Geniez to the police in his, I think, his home department of Rodé for physical abuse. Um, the... From her statement, it seems like it dates back to early 2020. There were many sort of incidents reported. You can read more about it online, I'm sure. But there was a big, there was a pretty big hearing about it in a court in Rodez. Back in February, when, when, when the decision was made, it was reported on by local French press, also by certain English language outlets, particularly in the cycling world. But he didn't race from that point onwards. Total Energy did not say anything, but they also... But they didn't field him to any races. His last race will be the Saudi Tour. However, back in March, he was actually found guilty. The judges made the decision. And Total Energy then spoke up. So a couple months after, the press kind of started talking about it. They released a statement saying that in order to respect values and so forth that the team share, they were monitoring the situation. Well, the decision has been made now, and that decision is that um, the two parties will part ways. They have terminated the contract, and Total Energy and Alexandre Geniez is done. Alexandre Geniez was supposed to actually retire at the end of this year, but that will not happen, rightly so. Rightly so, he gets an exit that he doesn't... Um, they didn't want to choose, but I mean, it's something he has to do. But if you look over at his um, at his personal platforms, um, it just seems a bit strange. He talks about wanting to pursue other things, and uh, I've got personal projects I want to follow. I mean, is are people really buying this? Are people buying this this lie that he just wants? I, I don't know, find a new hobby like painting or so forth when actually in reality it's it's because he beat up his wife like that's pretty i don't know it seems pretty poor maybe his agent walked out on him yeah it's 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 a difficult one but it's one that shouldn't have taken this long to come to uh we don't really we haven't seen many criminals really take to to the world of cycling but alexander genies is one of them so there we go justice is served and uh, french cycling can live on without 
the presence of this man involved. Van Aert and Alaphilippe locked together. The battle is going to be between them, crossing the line together. Van Aert with his arms in the air. The date is the 5th of June and it's the Criterium de Dauphiné. And uh, it's it's been an interesting first stage, and I mean the result, it's what we expected. It's it's Wild Fanatu takes it, uh, Ethan Hater in second place with Sean Quinn in third, Hugo Page fourth, Edvald Bosen Hagen fifth. I mean, he made it look easy. He was challenged by Hater and particularly Quinn as well, but Fanat just looked so good uh, in that sprint and. I mean, this whole race, if you haven't been keeping up with the Dauphiné, you don't know what the Dauphiné uh, looks like. Jumbo Visma are really sort of the headline act here. They're bringing what looks to be most of their Tour de France team. We've got Roglic, Benoit, uh, Kreiswijk, Laporte, Van Aert, and Vignago. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's an all-star lineup headed by Roglic and Van Aert. And uh, recently, Van Aert did say he wanted to go for both green and yellow at the Tour de France. We'll see if that's possible. But for the time being, it's it's worked on day one. Van Aert's got the stage win. He's got the yellow jersey. And uh, he's taken a huge chunk of points, uh, which is super useful for him. In terms of what he can do for the rest of this race, I, I do think they are going to warm this up. I think it's going to be... Wild for not chasing as many points as he can over the space of this one week of racing. Um, the green and yellow jersey balancing act will be really difficult for them. At the Tour de France, it hasn't really been done before successfully. Uh, I mean, what, Tinkoff tried when they had Sagan and Contador. Um, no, Sky tried when they had Cavendish and Wiggins. I think that this one's going to be very interesting because Mark Van Aert's unlike any other sort of sprinter per se that we have in the world of cycling. The one question here is that he hasn't really sprinted and defeated um, the likes of, I don't know, Fabio Jakobsen, Dylan Runeveke in a while. If Van Aert is like super consistent over many stages, which we assume he is, then he could definitely do something. He could definitely bring something to the table and sweep up points left, right, and center. He could go in the breakaway and try to get them on, on a mountain stage at the intermediates. Um, but at the same time, GC is super important. I think the Dauphiné is hard to compare to the Tour de France, of course. And the Tour de France, I mean, it's the Tour de France. It's it's three weeks long. A yellow jersey costs way more at the Tour de France than it will at the Criterium de Dauphiné. Fair play, Wild well Fanat. We'll see if you can repeat it in the yellow jersey tomorrow. Now develops and go. Well, it is tomorrow, June 6th, and we had the stage that just finished in Brive Charensac, won by Alexis Vuillemot. It's that's fantastic. I didn't expect him to get it. Um, yeah, I mean, we haven't really thought about him since he won at the Mur de Bretagne back in 2015, but. Fair play to him, putting himself back in the map. I did think he had a good kick on him, but coming in second place there was Anders Skarset of Norway. And if I'm honest, I, I really thought he would win. I think it would have been a fantastic achievement for Uno X to win a World Tour stage, which they haven't done yet. 
it'll be a huge step up for them and like that sort of glass ceiling broken but Total have been somewhat kings of the breakaway this year it was uh, Mathieu Borgodeau on a stage of the Paris Nice as well and now it's Vuillemo but we look back at where Wout van Aert is we, that's where we left it all off in the last diary entry and uh, Wout van Aert finished in 6th place so it's not a stage win for Wout but still a really solid performance from him. He actually loses the yellow jersey, so he'll be in pink tomorrow. Uh, sorry, he'll be in uh, green tomorrow. Um, two, two Giro focus at the moment. Uh, as uh, Villamos takes the overall standings uh, with Scarset in second place, Olivier Legac in third. And in terms of like other people in this race and people who've pulled out, well, we saw... Uh, Josef Czerny, Henry van Denebele, and also Phil Bauhaus leave. Henry van Denebele is a fantastic rider. I'm surprised he uh, pulled out. He's just 22 years of age, and he's, he's had a fantastic year so far, hoping he comes back firing later on. But for the time being, it seems like the Wout van Aert show is uh, it's a little bit derailed today since he couldn't win stages back-to-back. But stage three, you never know. It finishes with, with a little uphill, I'm sure... The oh oh actually this this is the last diary entry of this week so you might have to tune in for next week's episode of the Potato Chase to find out what else happens in the Criterion de Dauphiné. But for now, that's today's diary entry. It's time to head off to future you and for some ooh, some hindsight, scary scary hindsight, scary scary reflections. Het ziet er echt. Tombone komt eruit. Tombone pakt nu over. Tombone over Valverde. Tommeke, 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 wat doe je nu? Tombone gaat wereldkampioen worden. Tombone gaat wereldkampioen worden. Tombone op één. Tombone op één. Tombone is wereldkampioen. Well, the Dauphiné is currently still going on, but I'm still on my train up to Lille Flandre station. You can tell it's the north because it started raining. I'm, I'm approaching Lille now, and it's there's rain battering against the window of the train, and it looks a bit grey. So I mean, it's you can tell this is cobble classic country. We're almost in Paris Bay homeland right now. But um, yeah, that was that was this week's episode of the Potato Chase where we cover everything from tuna salads to Alexandre Genier's and the French legal system. Um, don't forget you can tune in to the extra slice of the potato chase, the extra potato, over on Twitter. It's the potato chase, all one word, all lowercase. You can also tune into my personal stuff. That's, um, I'm Ewan Wilson, by the way. Uh, my other journalistic work is over at The Cycling Dane, all one word, all lowercase. You can find my own personal stuff over on Ewan Wilson 48. That's E W A N W I L S O N 48. So, that's this week of the Potato Chase. Next week, prepare, prepare yourselves. It's going to be an interesting episode as we do Le Demi Tour de France. Until then, see you around.